Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, strength coach. I run Strength Guild, competitive powerlifter, highly games athlete. And that's about it. Merry Christmas or happy holidays time of year to everybody. Happy Hanukkah, all the stuff. All that. <laughs> this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm owner of the Extreme Human Performance, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, and a bunch of other stuff. And I just got into Costa Rica yesterday, so I had a whole two and a half hours of sleep. But I got to sleep here last night and doing an acute training study. We're taking a bunch of meatheads and pound the crap out of them with two a days and see what happens. <laughs> Interesting. What are you going to measure, Mike? Uh, that was the tricky part. We're just kind of doing some uh, surveys, some non-invasive measures. We've got a gym aware, so the main list, we're doing a velocity-based cutoff, uh, self-report data, and I tried to get HRV, but trying to wrangle a bunch of people to do their HRV in the morning with one or two chest straps, was uh, that was vetoed down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and just some other... Other markers. The nice part is it's it's sort of a pseudo metabolic ward where we have all the cooking uh, done, so we'll be doing daily weights and everything too. So it's it's a little bit of a rough, uh, not perfectly controlled study, but probably much better controlled than what most people would have, just because they're all being housed here, they're all being fed, and everything else. What's what's the purpose? Is it overtraining assessment? Is that what you're getting at? Um, kind of, yeah. So if you have uh, more advanced athletes and you have them do full body training like every day like just kind of sort of what happens right from a self-report and also a performance thing so we're literally doing like the same thing every day <laughs> so it's not a periodized plan it's not rotated it's like 10 to 12 rep max and going to a slow velocity cutoff so you know you've probably got to I'd say volitional fatigue, so to speak, but we're using velocity as a cutoff. Yeah, yeah. And it's more just a, I view it as more just a pilot exploratory study of, hey, what happens? You know, does everyone feel great and all the numbers and self-report metrics are pretty good for four or five days in a row? And if it is, huh, maybe if we remove other lifestyle stresses, people can train a lot more than we think. Or if everybody feels like they're going to kill each other by the end of day three, hmm, maybe... <laughs> Maybe you can't really push as hard if you have all those other things in check, too. So. Right. 
you know, uh, along similar lines, I've been um, I've been uh, working with a psych prof to get some short form, basically psychometric tests. You know, yeah, one we of them just is did one this morning. Yeah, uh, the W E L. I thought it looked pretty cool. Uh, I think it's the wellness exercise lifestyle questionnaire. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's about how confident am I, you know, to stick to my diet or to reach my fitness goals. You know, things like that. Nice. Um, Profile of mood states, you know, like you said, so you kind of assess, yeah, are they going to kill each other? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) Okay, everybody, today we have um, sort of a holiday show, as the guys were pointing out. Just we're going to take a look on Facebook, see what kind of questions are out there. Uh, The topic after the break is going to be, don't you know who I am? And so it's sort of a a jab, in a sense, at quote-unquote fitness celebrities. Uh, Sometimes you'll meet people, whether it's a a science guru or it's an athlete with an overinflated sense of (laughs) how famous they are. Uh, We'll talk about basically fitness celebrities. Do they exist? I mean, in reality. Uh, but uh, first, if we just look online and stuff, Phil, what do we have from, uh, like, the Book of Faces and whatnot? Strength and Muscle Sport News. First thing up, I want to mention, just because you're the coffee guy, um, there is a new study out of, when was this published? Oh, God, I think it was this year. But anyways... Uh, the cons- consumption of dark roast blend reduces DNA damage in humans. Love it. Results of a four-week randomized control study. So, these were... Oh, what they did is broke them into two groups of 50 men, 50 women. It was a single-blind randomized control study with parallel design um, in the Central European population. So they had a preconditioning period where they drank daily consumption of nothing but water. No coffee, no tea, no other caffeine-containing beverages. During the subsequent intervention period, the coffee group consumed 500 milliliters of freshly brewed dark roast coffee blend per day. The control group consumed water. And on the last day of each period, blood was drawn and analyzed by Comet Assay, single-cell gel electrophoresis, to assess the level of DNA damage. And uh, resulted there was significant, uh, it was significantly better than baseline in the coffee group. Nice. So the results indicate that regular coffee consumption of dark roast blend has a beneficial protective effect on human DNA integrity in both men and women. Mm. So I'm glad I like dark roast coffee. Me too. That's my, there you that's, go. That's, that's my go-to. Me too, man. Yeah, <laughs> It doesn't have quite as much caffeine usually, but that's okay. I get more of it. So that's yeah, right. Just drink more. So. <laughs> that's right. You get to drink more. <laughs> yeah. That's actually the first um, time I've seen something specific to dark roast. Because normally you hear about the roasting sorts of sort of burns out some of the different phytochemicals and whatnot, you know, and including the caffeine, you know. Mm-hmm. But this time it's it sounds like it's it, it's On a good the positive thing. side. Yep. Yeah. Um. Other than that, we've had a few people come on that, that listeners have helped with with form adjustments and things like that. It's really hard to explain on the show here because you guys can't watch the video. But uh, we also had one guy that let Mike hit this one up because I know he has one. Has anyone ever used one of the massage guns? Are you confident that you got improved recovery from it? I have a minor niggle, and it seems like this sort of thing might help. It could also just be a gimmick that gets used twice and then shoved in the cupboard. <laughs> 
Mike, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, initially I, my thought was, what the hell are all these people doing at meets just pounding the crap out of each other? I'm mm-hmm. sure Phil's probably seen this before. Yep. Um, it's like anything else, right? So the question is always about the, the tool and not necessarily what you do with it. It's like, oh, barbells are good or bad. Kettlebells are good or bad. It's not necessarily that. It's kind of what you do with it. Um, so I ended up actually buying one just to play around with it. And my thought was, eh, I think it might be useful. And what I found was it's pretty useful. Again, I have the kind of the luxury of knowing what to do with it. I don't know if you just buy one off the shelf and you just randomly hit yourself in various spots with it if it's going to be that effective. Um, but I do some of the RPR stuff, reflexive performance reset. So I'll go through and do that on myself just using my hands. And then other areas I'll use the massage gun on are a little bit helpful. Uh, upper traps, back, uh, hip area, outlining the IT band and a few other places. And what I found is if I do it before some type of training or movement, uh, it appears to, to help pretty good. I don't know if just randomly doing it without any movement is going to be that beneficial. Because if we look at what the proposed mechanism of it is, you're definitely not changing fascia. You're not changing soft tissue from the mechanical load on it. Eh, maybe you get a little bit of passive movement, maybe a little bit of blood flow. I'd say that's probably iffy. Um, but what you do get is you do get a massive amount of mechanoreceptive stimulation. Right, so you're giving your nervous system this massive amount of information, and I think if you move around or train after it and you feel better, I think that can elicit a long-term change, right? Which you could say just about anything, right? If it makes the quality or movement better before you lift, you're probably on the right track, right? So now you've got a better movement pattern under load, and that intensity is going to help keep that movement pattern longer. So I. I think it can be useful, but I'd say to most people, if you don't really know what you're doing or not really been trained in that area, you're probably better taking that money and spending it to find a really good therapist in your area to work with you. Um, General recovery, maybe, but I was kind of surprised we've actually used it more than I thought we would have. So, Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of opinions. They they seem trendy. There's all kinds of things you'll see on Instagram oh, and stuff of people with these guns. Yeah. yeah, and they do it in slow motion. They show the ripples <laughs> across yeah. their skin as they're blasting their glutes or something. I don't know. Yeah. The yeah. only problem I've had with them, and this is the only uh, times I've been around them, is the times I see them as it meets when people are literally assaulting themselves before they go do a max attempt. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a bad idea. Yeah, it's right. not a good Doing. idea. Yeah, so, and that's what I would warn against. I mean, if you're using it after training as a recovery tool, and then you have time between when you use this thing and when you train again, a significant amount of time, then I think it could probably be good. Um, But uh, not not right before. And even in that scenario, you'd want to make sure you test that. Like, I would not want to be like, take a gun, not know what the hell I'm doing, pound the crap out of somebody's tissue and tell them to go do a max attempt. Right never done with that intervention beforehand that just sounds like a horrible idea yeah you know mike that reminds me of um you know like back in the day they'd even say like extreme stretching right before performance could actually hurt because you have more laxity in the muscles and you don't get some of that tissue stiffness which could be a good thing you know it makes me wonder could this be along the same lines right so 
Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, I think it depends on the person and what are you doing? What does their nervous system perceive as that? And especially if you don't have any experience with it, it just seems like another variable that has more of a downside than an upside. And yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of static stretching uh, just in general. I think for recovery purpose, you want to do some after, whatever. I don't think that's a big deal. But like you said, Lonnie, like the old school sit and reach. Right. So people are like, oh, but I did that and I stretched my hamstrings and I got another like one inch range of motion. But there's yeah. been, I think, three studies now that have looked at it. It's like, well, how does that happen? You didn't change the mechanical properties magically of the tissue. What you did is you altered the nervous system input. And in my opinion, you actually made it worse. Right. You yeah. desensitized that stretch a little bit. So now you can actually get a little bit more. And to me, that's. It's kind of going in the wrong direction. Yeah. I want the, the best and most accurate information from my nervous system. And then the last part of that, too, that took me years to realize is if you do more visceral or you do more stuff around the core, quote unquote, and you can kind of change the angle of the pelvis a little bit, that'll give you a lot of hamstring range of motion. But a lot of people I see come in have a really big anterior pelvic tilt. Right? The pelvis is tilted forward. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you basically are constantly walking around with your hamstrings in a stretched position because the insertion's on the back of the pelvis. But if you get a little bit better pelvic angle, you can get a lot of range of motion in the hamstrings safely. And usually movement corresponds to being better than two. Yeah. From, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind there, because, um, Mike, you and I have talked about this a little bit in the in the past, of course. Um, well, I feel too obviously with the performance stuff, but uh, it, it's the acute versus chronic thing that I don't want people to be confused Definitely. about. You are not, as you say, yes. magically changing tissue length in the next five minutes of stretching or even twenty minutes of stretching. Now, I do think that stretching sore muscles is a kind of a good idea. I picked that up years ago from a. Um, uh, just a collegiate gymnastics coach. He's been, his his name was Rudy Bachner, and he used to say, uh, "Stretch a sore muscle," and I would do that. And I think over time, you can, of course, people can improve their flexibility over time. And I think some of it may be, you know, the old literature about sarcomeres in sequence or somehow lengthening. I mean, obviously, your range of motion improves. I do think it can be a bit more structural over many weeks of time. Right. And I, because mm -hmm. I, I'm not sold yeah. that long it's term. all neural long term. Right. Right. But short term, I don't know what people are thinking there, you know, as far as yeah. how could it be anything but uh, the tissue is warmer and there's some neural difference. You know, you're not going to rebuild a structure in the next 20 minutes. You know, yeah. if that was yeah. true, Phil would That's have to be on a hotline, but... you know. Yeah. If they do whatever technique, take your pick. And you can, let's say, accurately demonstrate an increased range of motion, which a lot of times people lie and fake those tests. But if you can, then it has to be a neurologic mechanism. Like you said, Lon, yeah. you're not changing. We didn't go in and replace your soft tissue around there to get you an extra 30 degrees range of motion. So we did something to change the system neurologically. And that can be a benefit. Um, again, just what did you do? Does it hold up under load? That's the other part I've noticed, too, is I spent... God, probably well over a decade doing stuff that I don't do anymore because I found when we just add any load to the system, it didn't stay. So yeah. that's the other thing to test. Yeah. 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 
And I mean, I know those things aren't necessarily just about stretching. I mean, God knows what they're all about, you know, but um, like you said, messing with your nervous system from, you know, there's so much input people just don't realize. I mean, I think most people that are using those, they they can't tell you about intrafusals or Golgi tendon organs, (laughs) you know, um, and the kind of fine-tuned feedback uh, that happens during muscle lengthening and all the nervous system involvement and all that kind of stuff. And you're messing with those things in an unknown way. But, I mean, let's face it, strength sports, people have done that for decades with drugs and all kinds of stuff. Why not some mm-hmm. mechanical ergogenic aid, supposed, you know? So, yeah, and sometimes yeah. the side effects are worse than what you get out of it. I'm not saying they're bad, right? <laughs> this sounds like, – like you said, Mike, I th- the ultimate thing is I'm going to need to see – like, what are the specific variables that you think you're improving by blasting yourself with these, like, hammer guns, these jackhammer things, you know, and stuff like that? Yeah, especially just as me as an outsider looking in. When we were at the Arnold, there's a bunch of people doing it, and I'm just kind of watching them, and, and, you know, maybe they know something that I don't know, which is entirely possible, and maybe they've got a pretty good system. They've tested it, and it works, which is great. I would love to know what they're doing, but right, right, true. Just from anecdotally watching a handful of people, it just looked completely, utterly random. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Just guinea pigging, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Anything else, Phil, from Facebook? I do have one study yep. here. Um, we got the other one I was going to hit from Facebook, and I've already kind of answered this, but we'll let Mike jump in here too, and you. I'm not so I'm not focused on strength right now. I need to change a pace. So I've been started. So I started CrossFit three days a week to not be a tub of lard and to have exposure to many of the lifts I don't have a history with. That said, I prefer my strength not to slip too much. With something as simple as I'm not doing jack shit template work just to maintain strength, which is basically just the main lifts with little to no assistance work two days a week. Day one squat bench. Day two deadlift press. Thanks again. I realize. If I'm just after conditioning fat loss, I guess program specific to that, blah, blah, blah. It's just fun. I've seen people not run the two programs successfully, but I'm not necessarily trying to get stronger at the same time, just trying to maintain strength. Um, I went in and answered some stuff and told them what I've done with people in this situation. But, uh, Mike, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see if mine matches yours because I didn't read that response yet. But, if I'm understanding the question right, I would agree with the template he's outlined. And if he likes CrossFit-y type stuff, I'd say maybe those other days, two days, just add some Metcon stuff. I mean, if you're not you know, able to do Olympic lifts, I wouldn't do Metcons with Olympic lifts. But there's other Metcons you can do. And obviously, you can do old school GPP sled drags. You could do old school classic aerobic training. My bias is using a rower or something like that. Um, but I think it depends on why he wants to do CrossFit. If it's something he likes about the community and things of that nature and doing Metcons, then I'd say that's a positive. If it's because he thinks that is the only way to not be a quote-unquote tub of lard, then I'd say he's got other options too. So probably depends on what the main reason he wants to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, like, that's basically kind of what I told him. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say I like the social part. I, I think that's why CrossFit blew up like it yeah. did. It's, oh, yeah, it did. To oh, me, totally. it's, it's like the old martial arts gyms where the senior people train the noobs, you know, on some level. Yep. They be, they take uh, like a mid-leadership role, and there's very cohesive box loyalty or like, you know, local gym loyalty. That's not 
new. That's something martial arts gyms have done for a long time. I mean, all you have to do is watch an anime <laughs> cartoon and talk. About, <laughs> you see the, yeah. the the you know the um, rivalries between gyms and stuff like that, and and so uh, I think it's the social thing that made that blow up. I don't think there's anything particularly new, and I've actually seen the origin of CrossFit at scientific conferences from the horse's mouth, you know, and, and I'm like, well, this doesn't seem new. And a lot of the PhDs in the room are like, yeah, this, this isn't really new. I think what did help itself, of course, was the social aspect. It's just built in. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No. And that's, I mean, basically what I told him was, you know, I just told him what I've done in the past with people in this situation and, uh, and made him realize that even the CrossFitters you're looking at aren't doing CrossFit. As far as box. That's a high level one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I said, you kind of have this training hierarchy of skill work first. Like if he has some skill within CrossFit that he just sucks at, we want to address that first. Skill work or dynamic work first. Then your strength-based work. And then do whatever wad you have at the end, as long as it's not stupid. And I told him, just don't do anything stupid and scale as needed. And that you yeah. don't need to go at 100. Don't go at 100% every day. No, you know, go hard, but not leave some in the tank. So I said, but just put your strength base first. And I said, if you can talk this box into letting you like he could even go one lift a day. Like if he's going four days a week. Yeah. Squat one day and then do their stuff. Press one day, do their stuff. You know, and that's going to be enough to maintain. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. for God's sakes, I'm making progress on squatting and deadlifting one day a week. The yeah. same day. Oh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of days. It takes work on that few days so right on yeah, yeah i mean you can keep it pretty simple so this seems like solid advice uh the one thing i have here this is from the institute of food technologists since it's the end of the year it caught my eye it's a, it's mintel and they're a big global marketing firm mintel announces food drink trends for 2020 uh things that they say is going to shape the food service industry and the global food markets over the next 10 years I don't think we'll disagree with any of these things, and our listeners are probably familiar in a lot of ways, but it's good to sort of see a summary. The first one is uh, expect to see consumers prioritize plants in their diets, and there is a ton of this. I I don't know if our listeners know about this, but um, I, I think we need to have some caution with this. Plant proteins are just incomplete by nature and that sort of thing. I, what's driving consumers, of course, is the planet's health. Is it in their mind, not just their own, right? From everybody, but I mean, you're like the examples here are beer made from rejected cereal pieces. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> or containers made from organic mushroom waste. I mean, there's all kinds of clever ways, and I think that kind of innovation can be good, especially when you're reusing stuff that's otherwise a waste product. Um, and again, I think people like the whole plant-based proteins they're they're huge and mike and i and phil i mean listeners you guys need to realize we are bombarded with this stuff especially the more you go to food tech conferences oh my god plant proteins are pea protein and it's not just soy anymore you know there's a ton of different things even walk into the grocery store a lot of the the milk now we have to say cow's milk and say what we mean because there's oat milk and soy milk and almond milk and and these things are very different. Some don't have much protein at all, in fact. Um, but I do still have some concerns about people who prioritize plants extremely in their diet. You could be missing out on different zoo chemicals, you know, things that are very rich in animals or only from animals like vitamin B12, yeah. uh, stuff like that. But anyway, so one is prioritizing plants and, and concern about the planet. 
And, I mean, you know, overall, I think that's good. And let's face it, if you're not under a lot of stress, like we talked about uh, last week, I think, as far as training and, and calorie restriction dieting, you could probably get away with just eating a variety of plant proteins. Get your RDA of 0.8 grams per kg, which is, to most lifters, that seems pitifully low. I mean, you're talking about like 60 grams of protein all day, you know. That's um, Phil's uh, breakfast. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, other The other two categories, other than this um, changes as far as plant focus, one is smart diets. Uh, consumers are supposed to get a better understanding uh, of what makes them unique uh, and whether that's through increased like self-monitoring and personal data collection. And I know, Mike, you're on board with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been ahead of your time with that. Yep. Um, artificial intelligence apps to help you make decisions. That's interesting stuff. Uh, generally yeah. with the idea of living longer and long-term cognitive health. And I'm interested in that, too. Like when I take curcumin or anti-inflammatories, I often think – or even coffee. You know, I often yeah. think about maybe slower amyloid plaque buildup or some somehow extending my mental sharpness into age. I mean if you listen to famous intellectuals like Noam Chomsky, he's like 94 and he's sharp as a tack. Like I want that, <laughs> you know, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, so smart diets is the other one. And the last one is high-tech harvests. Uh, going to be a big upcoming food trend, according to uh, Mintel. Uh, high-tech harvest is just basically clever ways to use technology to increase output, right, on the farm, essentially. Um, shorter production time, new products, using science and technology to make new products. I mean, think about, like, lab-grown meats, you know. Um, I saw some stuff on our Facebook page about that recently, and people either liking or not liking that idea. Uh, I would totally go that route if it didn't have a nasty fibrous mouthfeel or something. But um, new growing regions around the uh, the world, rather, where we haven't explored them fully, like places in Africa or India where, oh, we can grow this or that here. And we never tried that. Um, floating farms. I'm going to have to look into what that even means. Um, but basically tackling global food insecurity. Uh, there's a a psychologist that I sometimes listen to, and he talks about how there's this almost blind faith that somehow food isn't related to farming. (laughs) You know, like you just go into the grocery store and you just get it, and it doesn't matter what happens to farmers because scientists will just invent the food if the farmers fail us. But ultimately the scientists are, are working with the agriculture people. You can't separate the farmers from the science, right? So, yeah. and we are going to need that but with global overpopulation. Um, Sagan uh, talks about in one of his books that without agriculture, more than ninety percent of us would starve. I mean, the globe can only support a few tens of thousands of people if we're just going to be hunter gatherer types, you know. Yeah. And of course, there are billions of people, and that's agriculture. So, anyway, those are the some of the food and drink trends for twenty twenty, according to Mintel. I just thought I would share. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I get a little. I want to know what they're doing to outsource your decision making to an app. I don't know about that. Well, I think <laughs> I'm all for awareness and doing stuff to make people more aware of the decisions right. they make. That's awesome. But ooh, my app told me to eat this. Is I don't know. About yeah. That. <laughs> well, I think I could be on board if it said something like, you know, take into account your HRV, your blood pressure, your blood sugar, this, this, and this. 
this algorithm has a 95% probability to suggest you need to do this today. You know, like maybe it's rest or, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. That kind uh, of stuff for recovery, yeah. I, I agree we can probably definitely get there, but it's, yeah. I don't know. I just want to see what the compliance of that is. Because you guys all know, just trying to even get clients to write down or log what they eat each day sometimes is very difficult at yeah. first. You know, and I'm not even trusting that data. It just gives me a ballpark as to where they're at, and I more or less just want to make them aware of what they're putting in their pie hole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's like a physician. I mean, AI in the next five to 10 years, I think its main role is going to be to help diagnose people, but then you still want a human doctor to be your interface and have a discussion with you, right? You don't want to completely give yeah. up your autonomy and say, hey, uh, iPhone. <laughs> What do I yeah, do this yeah. week? I much rather have Phil look at that and be like, "This makes sense to me, given your history and your emotions and our conversation and what I've seen in the gym, you know, the visual cues yeah. and whatnot." Let's put this all together as a piece of the puzzle, you know. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. I think more of a hybrid approach is more the future of exactly what you were saying. And yeah, here's your, your, you know, it's kind of what we all do with clients right now. I mean, I look at their HRV data, I look at their sleep, I look at what they self-reported, I look at their output from the rower, what they did for training, and then kind of be like, yeah, no, I think you're fine. Yeah, HRV is, you know, down a little bit, everything is off, but you got, you know, two more days, and this was the week we're pushing volume, so based on your history, you're good. You know, where someone else, it could be like, nope, take the next two days off. <laughs> right. Right, yeah. you're just taking that information and letting the computers do what they're good at but then you're trying to synthesize all of it together from kind of a disparate angles and looking at it right i do think it's worthwhile for people to know that it might not be ai in the classic sense but algorithms and regression equations already do a lot of the um work when it comes to oh, like yeah. like your resting metabolic rate you know the harris benedict equation uses sex age height and weight and it, and it estimates your uh, resting metabolic rate because not everybody has $30,000 to sit there and breathe into a hose <laughs> on a metabolic cart, you know. Yeah. Um, now, that might be plus or minus 12 or 15%. Uh, to, to your point, Mike, like a lot of this are their estimates. They're good estimates generally. Um, or even like body composition, you know, all the different kinds of regression equations that give you your body fat as a percentage. I mean – that's not what bioimpedance measures. It doesn't measure your body fat or even even a bod potter under a water weighing. That measures body density, right? And then we have to yeah. calculate, and it's behind the scenes. You just go to a chart, and you're like, oh, here's my percent body fat. But people don't think about the equation that created every one of those numbers on that chart. So yeah. all these apps are doing is doing that very quickly. Or think about, like, we used to do diet analysis. You guys remember, like, the old charts of how much protein, carb, fat, and calories are in different foods? And, oh yeah, or it was Do it in by the hand. yeah by <laughs> hand or in the, um, the appendices at the back of the nutrition book, and of course now all that's in an electronic database, and it's just all sort of collated and computed for you. Um, so it, we're already doing it a lot, but I agree with you, Mike. I think as a rule of thumb, maybe we should make that like an iron radio policy. Like, what, what's our recommendation? And that's never completely turn over one hundred percent of the decision making to. Uh, your iphone app your android app yeah you know uh, probably not a good yeah. idea yeah so i get crazy emails from people about that of like oh you're just using hrv to make all these predictions and don't you know the data doesn't support that and I'm like no i'm just 
using HRV to get a marker of autonomic nervous stress from online clients because I don't have the luxury of watching them walk in, changes in gait pattern, their right. mood, how expressive they are, bar speed. I don't have the luxury of having all of that because it's online. Yeah. So I need yeah. some marker to look at, you know, kind of what their stress is. And a lot of people just self-report a stress is not super accurate either. So, yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways, Mike, that's like the NHANES data. Uh, when they yeah. go around in those NHANES trucks and it's almost like Google trucks that go all over the country. Of course, these are just the the nutrition health examination survey trucks. But they use a lot of tools, which we would normally consider pretty crude, but they have to process people from faraway locations or in mass, like many people. So like yeah. body mass index or a, a girth, you know, uh, around your arm or your waist or something. Waist. Those obviously aren't body composition. And yet, you know, there's a necessity for that because you're not going to stick everybody in an MRI personally <laughs> and get that kind of data. So, yeah, there are some estimations and field techniques. As long as they're valid, you know, I don't see a big problem necessarily. Yeah. And last part on that, too, is what population it's used in. Right. And I won't do a tangent on BMI, but it's the BMI is OK at a population level, sadly, for most people in the U.S. because they're not trained and they don't have a massive amount of muscle compared to fat. They're mm-hmm. the inverse of that. But I get annoyed when people go to a physician or trainer and they do BMI on an individual level on someone who's trained. It's like, well, I kind of missed where this came from and what what it was used yeah. for. So. Yeah. Well, I, I think we've all probably paid high risk insurance to our insurance companies because our BMI was yeah. too high. So they they can yeah. f off. And it, that sucks. I mean, that's a good one to bring up, and that sucks. But like Mike says, for the average population, which is the majority of them, yeah. it works. It works. Yeah. And so I understand why they use it. But yes, that's where they should have a some kind of a. Like when my insurance, I had an agent come over for life insurance and they walked through things. He's like, oh, you're trained, you know, so she kind of wrote that up. You know, there should be a disclaimer of some sort for a trained individual. And that's where the human comes into the equation again. They can tell, oh, this dude lifts. He's pretty jacked, even though he's 275. Yeah. 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 An out of some kind. My insurance agent, he actually said, Lonnie, the irony here is your body mass index is 30. And if you stopped lifting, if you stopped exercising, we'd give you better Mm -hmm. rates. Like what? Yeah. Right. Because we we need to get your body weight down. Stop lifting weights. Well, that's asinine. Right. That's straight asinine. But um, no. And your good point, Phil, about how we're a tiny fraction of the gen pop. Um, when I taught in dietetics, they even did stuff like arm girth, not waist, but arm girth as an index of guess what? Obesity. But in the gen pop, we've all seen Mm -hmm. the people with, you know, they're very obese and they have very big arms. Like, you know, some, um, I don't know. I I don't want to pick out a particular population, but like, let's say an aging lady, you know, you know, it's not muscle mass that's making that 20 inch arm. (laughs) You know, so they're in the gen pop. Even arm girth is a valid marker, you know, for uh, obesity. It's just in our population, of course, that goes to hell in a handbasket because we got guys with 16, 18, 19, 20 inch arms and it's all muscle mass. Yeah. So, you know, anyway. Okay. Uh, Let's go to break here uh, before we run out of time so we can talk about uh, fitness celebrities. (laughs) Maybe we'll try to have some fun with it. 
Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now. Stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform 
our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Mike, and it's Phil, and it's Lonnie, and we're going to talk about um, fitness celebrities and whether they exist. Uh, I've been tempted to talk about this for a while, you know, call this whole segment, Don't You Know Who I Am? Right? Because sometimes <laughs> you encounter these people, and that's kind of the vibe you get. You know, it's like you live in this miraculous pocket world of your own. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. that, you know, the general population um, has any idea, you know, and then, of course, there's not always a correlation between the number of views or hits and the actual quality of the output or, you know, of the um, information. Like some of the most famous fitness people might be someone like Jillian Michaels. And can you judge the quality of that by the number of hits? No, there's a huge marketing machine behind a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so Phil, first question for you: Are there real fitness celebrities? Well, I'm going to say no right off the bat, just flat out no. I mean, not mm -hmm. as far as you know, gym training. I mean, they're never going to be as big as uh, like even an NFL player or something like that. The Gen Pop does not know who these people are, and that would be what gauges me a celebrity. Like if I ask somebody who a Kardashian is, they know. No matter who they are, yeah, that's a celebrity, <laughs> you know. And if I walk into Walmart or even Twenty Four Hour Fitness and I ask the average person who, you know, like we talked about Eddie Cohn or something, they're the who they don't know, <laughs> right? Even right. though he's huge. So Johnny McTrainer that has a big Instagram following, yeah. So you have two hundred thousand followers. Let's say twenty five percent of those are robots you bought. Um, uh, I'm, you, nobody knows you. <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're nobody still. So, yeah. Uh, what about you, Mike, as far as celebrities? I mean, some of our listeners might already be saying, well, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's famous he because crosses, of movies, right? He crosses the line, yes. Yes, and he's yeah. one of those extremely rare breakout people, partly because he did it first, right? I mm -hmm. mean, was he, he was really part and parcel of the rise of bodybuilding and you know, and and then how the, you know, the muscular almost action heroes of the '80s and all that—that's really the the main reason. So I guess there are examples, but good point about people Phil who we recognize as famous. What do you think, Mike? Um, from uh, depending on your 
your scale, I suppose. Are there yeah. celebrities that are fitness celebrities? I would say pure fitness, no. And in performance, even less, right? So like Phil was saying with Eddie Cohn, it's like he had been probably one of the top power lifters, maybe the top power lifter of all time, and then did it for like what, three decades in a row or something. <laughs> it wasn't like a couple of yeah. years, yeah. you know? So you think about how much potential exposure he would have would be a lot. Most people are like, I, I don't know who, who, you know, like yeah. we're talking about, you know, Franco Colombo. I, I don't know, you know, but maybe some of the world's strongest men. But even then, that's still its own sub niche and probably just from other stuff they've done. I think where it gets a little messy is popularity, I would say, is still defined by fitness and physique. And only then when it crosses over to mainstream. So, like you mentioned, Arnold, obviously. I think of, like, The Rock. Uh, but most people probably know him from acting more so than anything else in wrestling. Yeah, that's good. But I think enough. if there are already one who are popular, it's still more on the, I would say, phys- physique side, right? So even fitness, I think, is still primarily defined by bodybuilding, right? You tell someone you're uh, a trainer, they're like, oh, so they think that you must look like a bodybuilder, <laughs> You know, yeah. I think that perception is still there. Yeah. And that's another one is, is half Thor. I guarantee right. you yeah. more people know him from game of Thrones than they do world. Star exactly. Star, by yes. far. Yeah. Exactly. I was thinking half Thor, Brian Shaw. I think about mm-hmm. like these guys I consider almost founding fathers, Kaz, Captain Kirk, uh-huh. Eddie Cohn. Yeah. And yeah, my students, even strength and conditioning students they are like, yeah, I got nothing. I don't know who they are. Yeah. And yeah. and the irony here is, yeah, there are people like that who – or like as far as number of views or listens from our history on Iron Radio, like Bill Pearl is way up there. Again, I consider like not just a class act but almost a founding father of modern bodybuilding and that kind of stuff uh, because of the books he put out and some of the, you know, the films he's been in and stuff. But, um, but yeah, at the same time – they are not the people I just mentioned are not always the people with the most views or the most hits. And mm-hmm. which is why I'm so salty about social media. I'm just rolling my eyes yes. about this stuff. lately. And that's what I was just, that's what I was just going to get on. That's the difference. The difference now is what's in your face are these so-called fitness celebrities. Yes. When we were coming up, the only things we got to read were from Eddie Cohn's that they, they had earned their right to write something and be published. So that's what we, we actually got to learn from great people. You know, yeah, because they were the only ones who had books. Yeah, uh, sent for it by mail. Yeah, <laughs> and and now their voices dropped off the map compared to Johnny McTrainer. Yes, so. right, exactly. Well, we've removed the gatekeeper editor role, and in yeah. some ways yep. that's liberating, right? But it, it also opens up. You can't separate the wheat from the chaff. There's nobody doing that. Everybody self-publishes oh, yeah. in this Web 2.0 environment. You know, and I mean, at least I feel like the three of us have a combination of, well, age, <laughs> age, <laughs> experience and background. You know, we've learned stuff. We've paid dues. We're trying to share news and our take on it. Um, but when I see stuff uh, on YouTube, people talk about chasing the algorithm to try to get more hits, you know, and it has to yeah. do with not just the number of clicks, but how long they watch and uh I'm never going to do that. I much rather have a small collection of yeah. intelligent listeners, and if other people find us great, 
If not, I mean, when you, I always joke about my fallback is, oh, 4.2 million views of some cat vomiting or something. So clearly yeah. there's not a correlation between number of views and, and quality. quality. Now, yes. on some level, maybe. If there's more clicks on something, it's more interesting to more people. But that doesn't mean that it's it's smart, <laughs> right? Yes. Or, or valuable. Um, it could just be entertaining, maybe. Yes. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the problem. I mean, it's almost gotten to the point where if someone, if you are other than self-published, it's almost assuredly crap because <laughs> all the people, all the people were the shit gave up on that because they're not paying anymore. So they're like, why am I going to take $25 an article? I'll just put it on my own site. You know, it's yeah. worth more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I even admit that I, the small level I operate at, like I, don't write for payment for a lot of other sites because like what you said, Phil, it's almost not worth it. And then the handful of sites that I do, I'm extremely careful about who is the editor, how is it going to show up? I get to review the final thing, you know, all the kind of stuff that, you know, any good editor is definitely your journalist is going to do. But if it's somebody, you know, new and I don't know, everyone always has a bad experience of how something just went wrong from someone not, following all the way through on their job and trying to make things a little bit more sexy and polarizing than what they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me follow up with this then. Um, so given the social media web 2.0 generation and these people that are really self-absorbed, you know, again, the kind of person who would say, well, don't you know who I am? No, I don't know who the hell you are. I don't care if you have <laughs> 2 million views. Right. Like there are very few people that would make me pause, like geek out and stumble over my own words, you know, because of fame, Um, including a lot of famous people that I like. I don't I don't even know if I would recognize LeBron James in my house, except he's tall, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like the stuff like that. And people like, no, that can't be true. Well, I'm really that, you know, disengaged from that kind of gen pop stuff. But what makes these guys then, Phil, like. The people who, you know, they're a 600-pound squatter or 800-pound squatter. They're some 250-pound gas gym rat. They get they get this cult of personality or even some scientist, uh, quote-unquote, uh, not traditional. They're usually not traditional academics, but they're sort of these offshoots. What creates this self-image of fame that, you know, that we're not going to buy into? Likes. It's, it comes down to that now. It's likes. It's Instagram influencers and, you know, them pushing themselves and somehow getting uh, a lot of people to, to push the like button. Yeah, number I of mean, likes. That's, what it, that's where fame is measured now. It really is, sadly. Yeah. But um, that's kind of what it is. And they scream louder. That's the, yeah, And that's always the thing. They, they constantly scream loud. And most people, it's the same way in the gym. Most people that are worth a shit, like your real true veterans that know a lot of things, usually keep to themselves. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know? Yes. They're not screaming. It's like the rooster. The young rooster walks around the yard and bah, 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 bah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the old one sitting in the corner like, yeah, shut up, son. Come over here when you're <laughs> You know? Yes, and, exactly. You know, there's, um, there, there's an old proverb. Uh, Asian proverb about the shallow babbling brook that's so loud versus the deep, quiet river. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I 
to me, I think it has a lot to do with this kind of a, a selfie generation. I, I know millennials get a lot of shit um, about that kind of stuff, but I'm constantly, even like at conferences, Mike, you've seen it. I've had students, yeah. they take my picture. Oh, no, take it from this angle. Not from this angle. I'm like, are you serious? Oh. You know, when you have to do it like two or three times. I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's people older than you might think doing this, you know, and you're yeah. like, what? So I think it has to do with this selfie generation, too. They're they're actually very in love with their own pictures, even if it's just of their beard or something <laughs> online yeah. and or, you know, them squatting. You know, you see the thousands and thousands of views of some girl squatting. And you think how many of this is just like pervy people or gen pop people or who knows? It's it's not like everybody offering respect for their performance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yet they just just enamored. It, yeah, that there was a guy that came to campus uh, last fall and he was talking about how in this new generation there's he was quoting song lyrics about how many likes is my life worth? And that mm-hmm. seems to be how they you know, um, define, define themselves and, and their self-worth and that kind of stuff. But Mike, yeah. what, what about you? What do you, what caused the rise of these pseudo famous, the self self perceived famous fitness celebrities? Yeah, I agree with Phil and you guys that I, the instant feedback and how fast the cycle moves. Cause even if you go back uh, 15 years ago, right? It was pretty hard to get in a magazine. It was pretty hard to get on some of the the big sites. They had editors. They had a lot of gatekeepers. I mean, I've told this story before when I talked to, you know, TC at Teen Nation. Mm-hmm. But at your event, Phil, was that 15 years ago now or something? Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. And I said, TC, man, I said, hey, I know everybody asks you this question, you know, but what do I have to do to, you know, to write for, for Teen Nation? And he looks at me and he goes, well, what have you done? I said, you know, I just... I just started training a few people. I'm probably going back to, to school again. And he looks at me and he goes, why don't you come back in about four to six years when you've done something that's worth the shit that we can write about? <laughs> it's honest. <laughs> and right? at the time, I was like, oh, he's such a mean man. And then I'm like, no, but that was actually true. That was like mm-hmm. 100% like, you know, the right thing to do. So yes. when I wrote back six years later, I said, hey, here's I met you. Here's what you said. Here's what I did. And he looks at it and he goes, all right, we'll publish it. (laughs) Right. There was a lot of work and effort to get to that point. Yes. Now you can be, you know, Joe Blow, whoever, and just figure out what the biggest controversy is. Take the opposite stand and just scream real loud about it on social media. And everyone's like, oh, my God, look at this. It's a a train wreck. Everybody look. Everybody look. (laughs) Yes. And that's the that's the issue. Even the media outlets have taken that stance. They've taken the. The hit stance. They want that, like, T-Nation, for example. Yeah. It is, they will post an article about how swings are good for you. I guarantee you within the next 48 hours, there's going to be an article about how swings are bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> and they want that. And it's by nobody. But they want that that inner fighting, that drama. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, crazy. controversy. To, yeah. to me, like, I'm just way too salty to do stuff like, um, you know, they'll say – well, to to satisfy the algorithm and get more hits, you know, do things like see what's trending and use those keywords in your titles. How about no? How about, I'm just not going to yeah. do that. You know, or or follow sites that are very popular and like and comment on those channels on YouTube, so you you know people will come by you. 
no, I'm not going to do that either. Yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. If it's something you sincerely like, like there's been a handful of things I'm like, that guy's got it together, like, yes. you know, but not yes. just to try to insincerely swipe some of their viewers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the kind of marketing, maybe, I don't know, uh, you hire a marketing firm if you want to do that kind of stuff. Um, it's hard for us to do stuff like actually provide content, and I feel like we provide quality content, news and informed discussion and things like that. And, and I, I, I'm not going to go chasing some YouTube algorithm, uh, especially when you see some of the examples. I Like some of the pop divas, you want to talk about fame. You'll see a YouTube video, and it, its hits are in the billions with a B. Oh, and I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. God, I mean, think about the impact that has. And then you think about some of these fitness gurus. And again, people with espousing their own opinions like they're fact or look, you know, I'm 250 pounds uh, because I take lots of gas and, you know, so listen to me kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and and the damage that they do. So I think there's this consumer advocacy that we need to promote, like be careful that number of views might be from an entertainment value or the fact that they are chasing these algorithms to get tens of thousands of views. And um, and we're just not going to operate that way. I think the only our marketing we have is sort of like a word of mouth because we've been around for so long and most people have at least bounced into somebody who has – you know, might have heard of us at some point or something yeah. like that. So, but I would counter that the good part is that because you can self-publish, if you want to put the time and effort into, you know, doing content and creating things that are worthwhile, it's definitely a longer-term approach. You're definitely not going to see probably a huge return right away. But there is still people who are looking for that. But what I tell people in fitness, too, is that you're basically kind of voting with what you spend money on and what you like and what you share, you know, and then that's why I do most of my stuff through a newsletter. It's like I only want people who are at least willing to give me a legit email address. And if they don't like it, then they can just unsubscribe. That's fine. But I control the channel. I control what I put out. I can have direct interaction with them. I don't have to go through Facebook. I don't have to play an algorithm game. I don't have to do all this other stuff, which then frees me up to spend my time doing research, trying stuff, and hopefully actually putting out better content at the same time. So doing all that even 20 years ago was a lot harder. It was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some pros with it, but and even people like, you know, we've had Jim Wendler on here who can, you know, do that very successfully and just focus on what he wants to do and people are still interested in listening, even though it's definitely the minority for sure compared to mm-hmm. what's popular. Yeah. Yeah. As far as tips go, I mean, this sounds like an almost like a, I don't know, um, media 101 class or something like that. And we've actually had um, Dr. Cordero on the show before. She's actually like a web 2.0 in English and media teacher uh, professor. But things like, you know, the channel and the content should not mostly be about them, <laughs> you know. They, yeah. <laughs> they should be properly using key terms. Like you're like, oh, that was proper use of that. Like looking for key terminology is one of the ways I grade papers sometimes. You know, if you can't properly use terminology, and let's face it, when it, whether it's uh, strength conditioning or what, like the stuff that Phil does in the gyms, the very applied stuff, or where, whether it's the science stuff, 
people will hang themselves pretty quickly if they try to use terminology that they don't understand. So look for key terminology. I'd also say occasionally cite a study, right? Some kind of high quality evidence so it's not just opinion. Uh, And don't be... Don't be drawn in by their supposed fame, even if they have 500,000, you know, listens or views or whatever. Uh, still look for these quality markers, right, yeah. instead of just just looking at the number of hits. Again, think about the, the puking cat with 4.2 million views. Not quality. That's not, that's, that's not going to enrich your life. So it's not just about. Uh, some of that stuff. Now you might say, "Oh, well, you guys are salty. You guys don't have many views." Well, not on YouTube. We don't. We that's our backup. Um, and at the same time, I would rather have a smaller, uh, higher quality. It's like Tolkien when they asked him why he wrote what he wrote. He said, oh, "I do this mostly for my own satisfaction," you know, and yeah. and or his people maybe, but as opposed to some grab at fame. I don't think the the point can be grabbing at fame. That that's where yeah. things go bad, and you get these people like, "Well, don't you know who I am?" N- no, <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, <laughs> so. that actually happened to me at a, a fitness conference. We'll say in the last two years, a very famous or supposedly famous Instagram person came up. My wife was standing next to me, and oh boy, and she's like, "Oh hi!" I said, "Oh hi," and I'm looking at her kind of funny, and she's like, "Do you know my name?" And I'm like. No, I don't. <laughs> Should I? You <laughs> don't know who I am. She went off for like five minutes about, don't you know who I am? Such arrogance. Blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I have no idea. I honestly don't. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Imagine if Phil did that. Like, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like refer to yourself in the third person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Phil is here. Phil is <laughs> here. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. So. All right. Yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> well, I'm out. Just so everybody knows, I won't be here. I'm going to Yellowstone for ten days. So Jealous. Next next Friday. Jealous. So, man. I'll miss two weeks. So we will have an episode, everybody, even if it's just some some Christmas time news or something like that. So, alrighty. Hey everybody. You. See you later. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at IronRadio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. 
Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.